Alrighty, so 1 Samuel is where we are. And um, in the brochure that you have there, um, just kind of some details. We're going to talk about a lot of this stuff. I'm not going to go into the, all the details. But there's also some questions for you to ponder. So on your way home, you guys can maybe read those and talk about them a little bit. There's an outline. Um, big points of the outline is uh, chapters 1 through 7, Samuel judges Israel. Uh, in chapters 8 through 15, uh, Israel demands a king. And then in chapters 16 through 30, David is raised up by the Lord, a man after his own heart. And then in chapter 31, you have the death of Saul. Um, we know that Samuel is one of the authors, um, but there are others. And we can say that because uh, there's material that's included in First and Second Samuel. And it was originally one book. Um, but it was divided up um, uh, when the translators took this from Hebrew into Greek into the Septuagint. So it became in two parts. But originally it was just one book. And so there was another contributor. And um, could have been could have been Nathan, could have been Gad, could have been some other person. Um, I, I really like the little uh, chart over there that shows the height of different people. And Goliath, I, I just think that's kind of interesting to look at. Um, not just the height, but look how big and wide that guy is, man. So um, as we move into uh, David's uh, journeys and, and fleeing from Saul, um, one, of the, one of his favorite hideouts is pictured there in that, in that, inside that brochure. There's a picture there at En Gedi, right by the Dead Sea. And um, not a bad hideout. And there's caves all over here, too. So if you ever go, it's really easy to imagine uh, David hanging out in one of the caves with his guys and King Saul moving about. So this is uh, that. Now you also have a, an article there that you could uh, read. It kind of is like, who are the, we're going to read a lot about the Philistines, right? Well, who are they? Where did they come from? Quite, quite possibly they came from Crete. Um, who are they not today? Take some time to read it and I'll fill in maybe some blanks for you. So again, just a quick introduction. Um, we've talked about that this was originally two books, uh, who the authors, uh, the author of, of Samuel, and then also maybe uh, Gad or, or Nathan. Um, and the, 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 there's a lot of people to, are going to be talked about, but obviously Samuel, Saul, and David, um, these are some of the main players that we're going to come and, and read about. And so we'll take our time as we move through it. But the person that really is going to be, um, I think, at the center of, of attention here tonight is going to be Hannah. Um, you have the, the great uh, woman who followed the Lord in Hannah, and then you got a terrible leader in Eli and his son. So this is where we're headed tonight, but let's begin by reading. Uh, you know, the days that we're in, we're in the days of Judges. So um, as we read through and we see the corruption that's taking place, there in Shiloh, where the, the tabernacle of meeting was, where the Ark of the Covenant, where all the sacrifices were um, being offered up, where they would come and, and celebrate the Passover every year. This location um, has been identified. You can go and you can visit it uh, today. Uh, there's dispute about the exact place of maybe where that tabernacle rested, but there's only three or four places that they suggest. And Maybe even one of them is that it moved around at different times. But it's, it's a pretty neat place to go to. Um, but yeah, it's, this is the days. We're still in the days where everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And, um, and so we come to the judge of Eli. He'll be named as such. And he was no good. 
So let's begin reading there at verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina, or if you're from the south, Penina. <laughs> Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from the city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah." Although the Lord had closed her womb. I think that's a line that's worth underlining. The Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, well, we know what the relationship was like, right? It's not nice. Penina also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. So we have this situation. You know, uh, there's many places in the Bible where you will see uh, where so, you know, somebody had more than one wife, okay? And this is the, we, we know what Jesus thought about this. Jesus said, you know, from the beginning it was written that the two should become one, two to one, not 12 to one or anything like that, or if you're Solomon, 900 to one. I mean, it's, it's two to one. That, that was the plan from the beginning. Um, God created Adam and Eve, just one lady. And so that, this is the plan of God. But you see that in Scripture, you have a situation like this. Now, the Bible doesn't come right out and um, begin to speak about this because it's not the point of the story um, so sometimes people um, will use this as a justification to say, well, it must be okay to you know, practice polygamy. Well, they ignore the creation account. They ignore, ignore the words of Jesus. And they also ignore what happens in every one of those families. There, you won't read of a story where there, this was going on. You say, that's what I want for my house. You're not going to ever say that. You're going to look at that and you're going to be like, yeah, that's. That's bitter right there. And this is a picture that we have. It's a bitter rivalry in this house. And so it's laid out for us in this way. So Hannah is uh, barren. And this barrenness was, we read there in verse 5, well, and 6, right? We read there. And, and actually, this first section, let me give you this first. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 10 is going to deal with the birth of Samuel. Okay, so that's the... Well, you got a big section of scripture here, and it's all dealing with the birth of Samuel. We begin with, with Hannah, and this is going to take up a good portion of chapter uh, 1 and 2. So this is what's going on. But Hannah, we read there in verse 5 and 6, that she was barren, and she was barren because the Lord closed her womb. Now, even if you know the Lord, and I assume that you do, and you know the Lord is good, there's just a little bit of, oh, that just when you read that, it's like, 
why would you do that, Lord? Because we don't feel like that should be what the Lord is doing. We don't feel like he should be bringing these kinds of difficulties and hardships and trials into somebody's life. Um, and then you, you, know, you, you kind of come back out of it and say, but the Lord is good, the Lord is faithful, and you play, if you know the story, you're able to see how the Lord worked through it and you're all okay. But if you haven't ever read this before or you're new to the faith and you don't understand the character and nature of God, you just might get you know, stuck in the rut of like, why would God do that? We're gonna see why God did that. And, and, and here is the reality. We are servants of the Lord. We're servants of the Lord. And whatever the Lord wants to do with our lives, he is free to do with our lives. And, and if you know the Lord and you know the character of the Lord, it gets easier and easier. Now, the question that you would ask when you read, and the Lord had closed her womb, the question that you want to ask is, why? But really, the best question to ask when we read, the Lord had closed her womb is, who? Who closed her womb? And it's a faithful God who loves and blesses and a God who is going to show up and he's going to work. He's a God that does things that are bigger than ourselves. He's a God that works and will, and will, will take different seasons and situations of our life to bring glory and honor to his name. That's who has closed the womb. And if you know who is at work in your life, you can rest even when you don't know why. So a lot of people forsake the Lord because they don't have the answer to why. And they end up forsaking who the Lord is. You don't want to do that. You might get a lot of answers to why in heaven. I don't know that we'll really care though. You know what I'm saying? I think we're going to get there. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask. Yeah, probably not. You're probably not. You're just going to be like, oh, yeah, I have some questions, but I forgot. This is a really amazing place I'm in right now. So, but, but the Lord had closed her womb. And God is going to use this, these afflicting circumstances to bring about a desired mindset and a, and a usable servant in Hannah. He's going to bring her to the place where she can be used for the purposes that he has. And, and really, you look at this like, well, was she, was there something wrong with her? No, there's nothing wrong with her. I think you should look at her and say God chose her because she was, I mean, we're going to read what she writes about the Lord in chapter 2. This was a lady that knew the Lord. She walked with the Lord. She understood God. And so it's not disciplinary. It's, it's preparation. And so he chose one that he could trust in Hannah to teach these lessons to. Well, we see there that there was a bitter, bitter rivalry between her and Penina, um, the other woman in, in the family there. And you can imagine some of the taunting things that uh, Penina, which her name means pearl, by the way, and Hannah means grace. And so you can just imagine, you know, cranky old pearl, um, you know, speaking to grace and the things that she would have said. And we're not told, but we know that she was a rival, she provoked her severely and made her miserable. So she might have said some things like, um, so Hannah, are you pregnant yet? 
Oh, you're not pregnant again? That's interesting. Didn't the Bible say that God was going to make certain that we, the women of Israel, were going to be fruitful and, and that we wouldn't be barren? I wonder why you're barren. I wonder what, it, what is it that you've done that God would do this to you? I mean, we know the problem isn't with Elkanah. Or have you seen all my kids? The problem's not with him. The problem is with you. I don't know if those were the exact things that were said, but it must have been pretty close. Must have been pretty close. Not only did it hurt her emotionally, but it call, I, I would imagine calling into question her own righteousness before the Lord. I wonder why God's angry with you, Hannah. Ah, don't worry about it. Some of us have it, some of us don't. Talk to you later and would walk away. In her own bitterness, because Hannah was the loved one. Both of these were miserable uh, you know, uh, situations that these, and so it was a conflict. It was untrue. The Lord had not closed her womb because of some kind of sinful thing. It was because, I would say, for her righteousness that he could find, he found a servant he could trust. And these untrue, mean-spirited comments must have ripped at Hannah's heart over and over again. You probably know something about that. You've probably met, I'm sorry if your name is Pearl. That's a beautiful name. But you've probably met Pearl out there somewhere before, haven't you? And she has ripped you with her words. There's nothing Hannah could do. What could Hannah do? It was completely out of her hands because the Lord had closed her womb. Penina was proud and she lacked the love of God in her life. She had her own hurt and pain and she, rather than taking hurt and pain as we're going to see Hannah do, to the Lord, she took that hurt and pain and she aimed it at other people. That might be speaking to some of you. Maybe you have been hurt. Maybe you've been hurt deeply. And your response, rather than taking it to the Lord, is just to take it out on other people. You know, hurt people hurt people. We, we, we know that saying. But Christian people love people. We've talked a lot about this on, on Sunday morning, right? We're a people of love. We're a people that have been purified. You know, right? Remember this, that word, that perfect word in the perfect tense? We've been purified at the moment of salvation, but it's a continuing work through our life that we can love people. I am confident of this. There's a lot of hurt people out there, and maybe you're one of them, and maybe you're one of those that end up hurting people, but I am confident of this. The love of the Lord is enough. If you will drill into it, it will heal you. It will touch your life. But you got to take your complaint to the Lord, and you got to pour it out there. But how long do I have to do that? Until, until you're good. Until you can feel the touch and the healing upon the, of the Lord on your life. He does that. He does that today. Penina didn't do that. And it's, it's quite sad. It caused a lot of pain. She was jealous over Hannah's favored position with her husband, Elkanah. And so she rips her apart. It's difficult to be around people like that. Um, and if you are a person like that, I would encourage you to repent <laughs> right now. And stop hurting people. Stop, you know, saying, well, there's a little bit, you know, there's some truth to that. Well, I've been hurt, but that, yeah, but okay. You know, I'm sure Penina would have told you about her hurt. 
And so she goes on to hurt. But, I mean, look, you can, you can tell how the Lord feels about it by the way the text is written. Nobody thinks, oh, Pearl's wonderful. Nobody, nobody says that about this. You know, they're all like, wow, this woman. You know, and what is, can even be more difficult is the people that rip you apart sometimes are enjoying the very blessings that you're asking the Lord from. And they're not even walking with Jesus. And it makes it really, really hard. It makes it really hard. It's like, wait a minute. I'm walking uprightly. I'm doing the things you want. I'm not living like him or her or them. And yet they have everything that I want. And I'm seeking your face for. And I don't have it. Well, I have no answer for you other than to seek the Lord and remember who and get off of why. The longer you hang out on why, the more miserable you're going to be. Now, you may not like that. You say, no, I must have an answer. Well, you're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable. I don't, I don't think it's, I'm not saying it's sinful to ask the Lord why. Ask him why. And if he doesn't show you and we're five years down the road, I think it's time to get off of why. It's time to get on to who. And so this is a difficult situation I think many of us can relate to. So we come to verse 8, and um, we see that Hannah is going to petition the Lord. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, <laughs> you got to laugh here. This is like typical man right here. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why are you crying all the time? What is wrong? Why don't you eat something? Why is your heart so sad? Aren't I better to you than 10 sons? He said it. It's recorded in scripture. I mean, he, he actually said that. Now, I mean, let's go a little easy on him. He must have been a good man. He must have really loved her. And it must have been so evident that he loved her that this brother is like, listen, isn't my love enough for you? And, and, and this is, it really is, I mean, I don't understand Penina. Okay, I don't understand, no explanation there. But he thinks that he's been good enough to her that in her pain that she ought to find comfort. Now, listen, we can laugh at it, and it, and it does sound just like a guy. And... Um, yeah, I'm, you know, when I, I love to tease. Now, you may not know that from like this, because I, I'm, you know, but I love to tease. And, um, and I love to joke around. And um, so in the right moments, listen to me, men, in the right moments, I quote this verse to my wife. <laughs> she, and she, she knows. And I'll say, honey, Aren't I better? She goes, don't say it. I'm like, aren't I better to you than 10 sons? Yeah, I choose my, I chose my moments wisely. And they've so far, um, after over three decades of marriage, they've always gotten a laugh. So I've, I've, I've not done it at the wrong time. But So if you go home and do it and you get in trouble, that's your fault. You, if you don't know how to play, then don't play, okay? Figure it out and have fun. And if you can't do that, just keep your mouth shut and eat well and sleep well, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, but listen, I mean, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. And he thinks that she ought to be able to recognize that, but, but boy, wow, it's, 
It's kind of like, that's probably not the right time while she's crying to be saying that. But see, he did. But this is the one I want you to think about. So here's the, the groom speaking to the bride, saying, aren't I enough for you? And there probably was some elements where Hannah really did need to benefit from how good he was to her and allow that to minister to her heart and her pain and that it would have done something good. But, but at the end of the day, he's just Elkanah who has two wives. So um, not, not, not somebody that's perfect, but we have a groom that is perfect as a bride, don't we? As the bride of Christ. Jesus is that one. And so while... I'm not going to say that Elkanah is a type of Christ. I, I, just, I think the, the circumstances in the language makes me think of Colossians 2, 9, and 10. For in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. You are complete in him. I think that's what Elkanah was trying to say to her. Aren't you like good? I mean, in me, in the relationship you have with me? And uh, obviously the Lord is doing something, and, um, and her answer would have been, no, not, not really. You're good, but you're not that good. I mean, so not enough, and, but we, we can't say that, can we? Our answer is, less, yes, Lord, you are better than ten sons. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. Lord, you are better than that job. Lord, you are better than that, you know, Circumstance, that financial blessing, that health request. Lord, you are better than any request I have. And so, Lord, yes, you are better than anything else. And, and I pray that if you're not feeling that in your walk with the Lord, that you'll allow him to minister to you tonight. So verse 9, so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now, Eli, you know, actually around um, Shiloh, they have found, uh, so they would have the Passover meal there and then they would break the clay pots that they ate the meal in and um, they wouldn't take them home because they were holy and um, were not able to be used for anything else. And um, around this area, the archaeologist said, it is just littered with broken clay pots everywhere. Um, so they, they know that um, as we're reading here about them traveling down there and having a meal, that this is what Israel um, did they would travel to this place um, Shiloh, and so they they would they ate their meal there. <clears throat> in verse ten, oh, still in verse nine. So Hannah rose and they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, "O Lord of hosts." If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord. I'll give him to Yahweh all the days of his life. He'll be a Nazarite. No razor shall come upon his head. And so if you, if you want an answer in ver, from verse 5 and 6 of why, that's why. He's getting her to the place where she can be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and how God wants to do something a little different, very different. That he wants her to have a son, but he wants that son to be dedicated to his service. That's the why of 
this. The Lord's working and moving and bringing us to this place. Uh, Verse 12, and it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved. You've probably done this. You probably did it tonight. But her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. Not real sharp, you know, uh, men in this chapter, is there? I mean, it's like, aren't I better than you had 10 sons? And now you got the leader of the country. You're drunk, woman. It's like, I'm, I'm not drunk. And no, you're not enough. So, I mean, this is her, this is what she has Penina, she has her husband, she has the priest. And, and I think it just kind of, to me, it's like, why would you come to that conclusion? Is that what you do when you get drunk, Eli? I mean, that, that's what runs through my mind, and I don't think it's that far off. He said, put the wine away, verse 14. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have not drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Oh, that's another great line. I've poured out my soul before the Lord. That's the, that's the thing that Penina did not do in her hurt and pain. If she would have done that, then she wouldn't have been hurting Hannah. And so, but Hannah's like, no, I'm pouring my grief out to the Lord. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you've asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So it's an interesting interaction that that happens. We can see who, who God can use. It's often been said that God does not use us because of our ability, but because of our, does anybody heard this? Because of our what? Our availability. And, um, you know, you probably can even argue of how available Eli was. But in this moment, he was, and the Lord spoke and gave a word of encouragement that this is going to, to happen. So, again, yeah, taking her pain to the Lord. She knew where help was to be found, and she went to the Lord. She couldn't go to the woman that was in the closest proximity to her because that was part of the pain. Her husband didn't understand um, completely, at least. I mean, from my reading, if I got to apologize when I get to heaven, Elkanah, I will. But it doesn't seem like he's really understanding here what's going on. But she knew that the Lord would understand. And it may be that tonight the reason why nobody's there for you is because you need to go pour your heart out to the Lord. And you've been running to all your friends and all your family and all your people around your life. And you keep running to them. And the Lord's like, what about me? Why don't you run to me? And so if your circle is getting smaller and smaller and smaller... Maybe what God is trying to tell you is quit running to everybody else and bring your pain to me. Obviously, we can find all kinds of scripture where we are to refresh one another and speak encouraging words to one another. So don't stop doing that. But sometimes we're just we're going to people rather than going to the Lord. You know, so the interesting thing here is that the Lord brings her to this place where she's going to give her firstborn. And that's what we're going to read. And Samuel's going to be born and she's going to give the firstborn. So in the toolbox of God, one of the tools that he uses is hardship. And I think we should all realize that it's it's possible that hardship could be used of the Lord in my life and all of our lives. Do you trust him? 
Do you trust him with that tool? You know, like, well, I don't know. Well, let me ask you this question. Do you trust a surgeon that you don't know that probably partied all through school to take a sharp scalpel and cut you open and start messing around with your insides? Yeah, we do it all the time. And, and, and we don't even know them. And they're going to charge us a ton of money. And, and I mean, we do this. Did, did you ask the surgeon what his GPA was or her GPA was before you let them? They got a certificate. But how good of a student were you? Did you pay attention? Did you sleep well last night? I mean, do we ask any of these questions before they cut us wide open? And this, these are just people. That's what's in their toolbox. I mean, you know, you don't want to go in the surgical room and see all the tools that they're going to use on you. They're covered up for probably a couple of reasons. One of them being like, I don't want to see that. So can you trust the, the great physician, the good physician? And whatever he would want to pull out of his toolbox and begin to apply to your life? Charles Spurgeon, um, he has a, a, a devotional that I love and he writes on Hosea 5.15, he says, and, and the portion that he's writing about from Hosea 5.15 is, in their affliction, they will seek me early. That's Hosea 5.15. In their affliction, they will seek me early. And it, there's just a whole great writing that he has on it, but let me just give you one sentence. It says, losses... And adversities are frequently the means which the great shepherd uses to fetch home his wandering sheep. Like fierce dogs, they, they worry the wanderers back to the fold. And that might be exactly what's happening in your life with the hard things and the difficult things. Maybe you have wandered. Now, Hannah hasn't wandered, but the principle is still the same, right? He's going to use these things to bring her to a place where she will pray and say, well, Lord, I'll give you my, my firstborn. And the Lord's like, all right. That's what, I've been, that's what I've been looking for. So she gets this promise. Now, when this priest, who is a scoundrel, who doesn't know how to lead the nation, when this priest says to Hannah, after accusing her of being drunk, clearly lacking discernment, after he says, you can go in peace, she washes her face and she goes home. That guy said that. This is not like some, you know, great, you know, man of God. This is a, a, a man who's like upside down spiritually. And yet the word of the Lord comes to him and he speaks that word and it changes her day. It changes, she's, she, went, she goes and washes her face, right? Um, she, she sits down to eat. The anguish and the sorrow that she felt, she found out she was going to have a child from that guy. And she's like, oh, oh that's great news. Let's, let's have a party. Let's eat. I'm going to wash my face. Eli said that. And it changed her outlook. We have one greater than Eli that has spoken many promises to us. You know his name, don't you? His name is Jesus. He has many promises that he speaks to us. How do we respond when he says that? Uh, John 14, verses 13 and 14. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Does that make you eat? Does that make you wash your face tonight? Are you ready to sit down? Are you ready to come to the feasting table? Because Jesus said, I'm going to take care of you. Say, well, you know, I don't know about that. If she can have confidence in the word of the Lord coming from corrupt Eli, how much more ought we be able to receive the word of the Lord from the word himself? And so cling to the promises of the Lord. Does she, is she pregnant yet? No, she's not pregnant yet. Does she have a child yet? No, she doesn't have a child. She just has the word of the Lord. Is that enough for us to change the way we look out from this moment? Like, not tomorrow. Not once you ponder this. Is that enough right now to know that the Lord says, you can come to me, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. I mean, we can start running through the promises and the word of the Lord to us, can't we? They're all over. Is that enough for you? Is that enough for Troy? Is that enough for us to, to wash our face and say, all right, Lord, this is faith. And she has faith in the Lord. Uh, but, you know, think about where she is in history. Think about where she is in the grand revelation of God. Well, she went home and read some Psalms. No, she didn't. They weren't written yet. That's going to come, but the Psalms weren't written yet. You know, so what does she have? She's got the law. She has the law. She has the accounts of what the Lord has done. Does she have one at her house? No, she doesn't have one at her house. There's no you version for her at her home, okay? She just, she hears it read, and she recalls this oral truth, and yet all she hears is corrupt Eli speak the truth from the Lord. You're going to have a child, and it changes everything. May the Lord be a big deal to us when he speaks. So we move into verses 19 through 28 here, and um, Hannah's going to dedicate Samuel to the Lord. So verse 19, Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew, his, uh, knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time, and that's the part we hate, isn't it? It's that process of time. And it came to pass in the process of time. God's got a process. And it's a process of time. You know what matters to us is time, especially as, as you know, Americans. Time, what do we say? Time is what? Time is money. Travel to the third world country. And you're going to go nuts. Because to them, time is not money. So we can value time in our culture more than money. But in other cultures, they're going to value the money more than time. And, and you know, so when we, feel, when we see the Lord doing things in the process of time, that's like to us, it's like that's the hard part, you know, is, is the time for God to fulfill what he's doing. So... It's going to happen in his timing in your life. It's going to happen in his timing in my life. You're not going to speed it up. You're not going to make him go faster. He's got all the time in the world. He's eternal. <laughs> I mean, he dwells outside of time. We live inside of time. We feel the constraints. He does not. So in the process of time, right? In the process of time, 
that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called the name Samuel, saying, because I've asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So she's going, she's going to fulfill the vow that she has made to the Lord. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this is the child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. She had received the child. She has raised this child to a young age. And I don't know, just a little boy running in. She's handing him over to, to Eli. She's trusting the Lord for her son. Listen, if I was trying to find a way out and an excuse to not do this, I could easily find one. We're going to read that he's a terrible dad and he does not know how to raise boys. And he lets them get away with all kinds of corrupt stuff. He's coming into a place where the corruption is just on, it's all through the whole tabernacle and God's going to judge it. I mean, can't you easily see yourself say, well, Lord, when I made the promise that you could have my son, I didn't realize how bad these guys were. But they're terrible. And Lord, there is no way that I can take my son and do that. But she trusts the Lord not only um, in that whole emotional part of giving your son up even to a perfect situation, she trusts the Lord even in a corrupt environment. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, this is, this is a, a woman that is so full of faith. She knows her God. And so we, we don't read, and she didn't eat, and she wept. No, it says, what's the last line of, of verse uh, 28, the last sentence? So they worshiped the Lord there. She did what the Lord had called, and she worshiped. And it's, just, it's, it's a beautiful picture um, as we move into chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, um, Hannah's going to offer up a prayer of praise. Could easily put it, be put in the Psalms. You might want to go home tonight and read Mary's psalm that she writes, her Magnificent, and, and put them side by side and just read them. And Hannah prayed and said, Look how well she knows the Lord. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted, or my strength is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies. <laughs> Pearl. <laughs> because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there's no one besides you. There, nor is there any rock like our God. I mean, she, she's been through it. 
She's, she's writing about her experience. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken. And those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. And the hungry have ceased to hunger. She's been vindicated by the Lord. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has, born, has many children has become feeble. She's going to have six children. Seven is a representation of fullness, completion. Verse 6, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave, and he brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set him among the princes and make them to inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by the strength, for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. And I don't, I don't think we should be thinking about just Pearl here, okay? Penina. I mean, we're talking about all the enemies of Israel and all the ministry the Lord's going to do through, through Samuel. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Wow. I mean, again... Does she know her God? Yeah, she knows her God. I mean, look what, is, look what was ha- has happened to Hannah through all, you know, um, these afflictions and these hardships, the closing of the womb and the, the painful relationship. Look at all that God has built into her. Why? Because she was pouring her heart out to the Lord, and the Lord is pouring himself into her. If you had the choice of knowing the Lord like this, because of the hardships and the trials or not knowing the Lord at all and trial free don't say it out loud you ponder it what would you choose what would you choose I hope this is what we all would choose so verse 11 then Elkanah went to his house at Ramah but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest verse 12 so we are going to come now into chapter 2 Verse 12, I think I have verse 11 here, but it, you know, uh, it's actually it's chapter 2, verse 12 through uh, verse 36. It says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. These are priests, and they don't know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three pronged flesh hook. In his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all the flesh, uh, take all that the flesh hook brought up, so they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give me meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, 
they should really burn the fat first. I mean, these are like laws, okay? This is what the Leviticus has laid out of how it should function. So every one of these points, you can go back into Leviticus and you can find out how it is that it should have been done. But they're bringing it to our attention because they're trying to show um, the Israelites who would have read this, of course, and now us, that these guys were corrupt. This is how they were corrupt. Um, he says, you should, you know, really, this should be done first. Then uh, you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. These guys were so bad that people hated worshiping the Lord. Because of the experience in the tabernacle, not because of the Lord. Because of the men that were representing the Lord. These guys are big time losers. They're thieves. And we're going to read here in just a moment that they are also womanizers. How tragic it is that those who had that privileged opportunity to represent the Lord to men and then to come and intercede for men to the Lord, that they had corrupted this. They had one hand in the offering box and the other hand on the sisters. This is who these guys are. I mean, just I realize that's kind of sounds a little crass, but that's the picture that's going to be painted. This is the days of the judges. What happens in the days of the judges? What, what's, the, what's the line? What does scripture say? Yep, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And here you see it. And so it's quite tragic. It's quite sad what is, what is going on. Verse 18, but Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord then they would go to their own home, and the Lord visited Hannah, so she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. So, you know, you have this, you know, I kind of was making fun of Elkanah a little bit, but let's, let's talk about Elkanah in a really positive light. He's bringing his family to worship the Lord. He's pointing them to the Lord. He is... Um, was willing to let Hannah make a vow. Now, according to the law, he could have said, I do not accept that vow. The husband could cancel out the vow of a wife or of a, you know, a daughter. Um, but when he hears this vow, he says, we'll do it. We'll do that. Because this is clearly what the Lord was doing. He believed that the Lord was on the move. And he was sensing this as well. And so he goes along with it. I want, to, I want to ask you moms and dads, will you lend your kids to the Lord? Are you raising your kids to be lent to the Lord? Are you raising your kids to serve the Lord? And if they were to serve the Lord on the other side of the planet, would you let them go? Or would you stop them? Would you try and, I just can't handle that. I just can't, you know, you know listen. Um, we, we, have, um, we have two sons-in-laws. Both of them are in the Air Force. And so our daughters um, married to them, you know, are exactly where the U.S. government wants them to be. Not where Troy and Rebecca want them to be. 
And, um, you know, one of our daughters just found out, you know, they just got, you know, orders. They're going to be going to Guam. Going to Guam. And I looked it up. It's 7,900 miles away. And it is very, very expensive to go and visit. And so we're, you know, we're, we're, we're praying through this as a family and we're talking about, you know, this and, you know, it was a shock and it was sad. And so it's coming up this summer, but, you know, we just, we decided, you know what, we're going to just make this a mission for you guys. We're just going to pray that God will use you as missionaries on the government's dime in Guam, whatever that means. But, you know, this is what I was pondering. And then some of their friends um, ended up going over, you know, they thought that was bad until they heard that some of them were going over to Saudi Arabia and they don't get to bring the family and others were going to Turkey and they get to bring the family. And then they're like, well, it's okay. But you know what, you know, what came into my mind was look what people do as they serve. And many of you have been in the military and you've gone through this. You've been, you know, wherever I'm sent, I go. You have family that's in the military and, and, and they go on, if you will, these missions, and they'll even be separated from, fa- for, uh, from family for years at a time. For Jesus? For, you know, the, the purposes of the kingdom? Well, whatever we do as Christians is, uh, is unto the Lord. But no, it's for the government. And so, if that happens on that level, and if the king, if you will, says, we need you over here for this many years, then who are we to stand in the way when the king of kings says... I want him or her or your child to be there. Or what if the Lord was to call your spouse to go somewhere for two years to go serve? Well, I wouldn't do it. But the military, they do it for the military. And so if they're willing to do it for the kingdom of America, how much more for the kingdom of God? I, you know, I, you know, I don't know if the Lord is like, prophetically speaking through me. I, I don't think that he is. I'm just wondering as to ponder our willingness to follow the Lord. But I, I will laugh if some of you actually end up having this happen. And it's exactly what the Lord is preparing you for. And here I am saying this just as an illustration, and yet it actually becomes the reality of what you're going to go through. But this is a word to mom, dad, spouse. Don't get in the way of what the Lord wants for your child. Don't get in, your, in the way. Um, He's a pastor, lost his wife um, when they had small children in this stretch of road. Years later, um, a daughter that he had from from that uh, marriage, he's still in ministry, is driving the same exact stretch of road at 18 years old. She gets in the car accident just like her mother did and died in the same same stretch of road. And he tells us, you know, obviously a lot of grief and sorrow there. And um, and he says, you know, a lot of people come up to me and say, oh, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss. He goes, I know what they're saying, and I appreciate it. He goes, but I always correct him, and I say, my child is not lost. I know exactly where she is. She's in the throne room of God, and so she is not lost. But there is a lot of children that are alive that are lost. He says, my child is not lost. You know, it is better to have your child or your spouse or whoever it is being used of the Lord for the purposes of the Lord and away from you than it is for you to have them and not be in the will of the Lord. I hope you come to that conclusion. That is true. That is not debatable. That's not, this is not me just kind of giving an opinion. No, this is the word of the Lord. If God has a will for your family's life, don't stand in the way of that. Be an Elkanah. All right, honey, 
If that's what the Lord is saying to you, I prayed about it, I agreed, yeah, let's go for it. Let's see what's going to happen. So th- this is a, he's a good man and um, not standing in the way. Now as you move on into, uh, we move on into this section, um, <laughs> chapter 2, we're going to see um, just again how messed up this whole family is, Eli's family. Verse 22 Uh, Now, Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle. Can you believe, I mean, like, they didn't even take it home. They just did it right at the door of the tabernacle. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And Hannah gives Samuel to Eli. So he said to him, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Uh, Eli, I think you need to ramp it up a little bit. I just think that's like, this is not a why question. This is time for you to put them to death according to the law. This is what needs to happen. So why are you doing this bad thing? I mean, it's just, okay, it's a question. But he's not dealing with his kids. No, my sons, for it is not good. It's not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Now, nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father. Because, why? Read it. Verse 25, the Lord desired to kill them. They had gone so far over the line, the Lord says, I'm no longer going to strive with you. Read Genesis chapter 6, right before God sent the flood. He says, my spirit will no longer strive with man, and then judgment came. There comes a time when the Lord says, enough is enough, and I'm going to judge you, just like Pharaoh. This is enough, and judgment comes. You know, so we never know when it is that somebody has been, their conscience, if you will, has been seared with a hot iron, and they've gone past that point. But here in Scripture, we're told they've gone too far. Judgment is going to happen to these guys. Quite sad. Verse 26, and the child Samuel grew in stature and favor both with the Lord and men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord, I'm in verse 27, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? I mean, 10 commandments. Do you remember? I mean, mean, the 10 plagues. Do you remember that? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? And I did not give to the house of your father all the, did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? They were provided for. They were, they lived by the ministry. They were provided by the ministry. Verse 29, why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me? So when I said Eli needed to take it up a notch, it wasn't just my opinion. The Lord was like, you love your kids more than you love me. You're letting them get away with this stuff. It's not right. You know, he is, he fell to the same thing that a lot of people are falling to in the church now, and that is emotionalism trumps the word of the Lord. How my emotions are towards family are more important than the word of the Lord. And he says, you love your kids more than you love me. This is a problem. To make yourselves fat, and that's going to come in at the end of Eli's life, by the way. To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, 
I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place. Despite all the good which God does for Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Your sons are going to die. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and one day they shall die, both of them. You're going to get news that they're both dead in the same day. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will, stand, who will, who will do all according to all uh, what is in my heart and in my mind. And, uh, you know, that kind of is a statement that's made of David, although he's not going to be a priest, he's a king. He says, I will build him a sure house and walk before uh, my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please, Put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. And well, that's as far as we're going to go. Just chapter 2. So Eli is rebuked by the prophet. He says, you're no longer going to have um, the ministry in the, in the temple. I'm going to cut you off. Um, I'm going to raise up another to serve as priest. The priesthood is going to be removed. Eli is in the line of one of Aaron's son named Ithamar. And it's going to be cut off from him and it's going to be given to another line of Aaron's sons, which is Eleazar. Both of these are descendants. And that was fulfilled in two stages. You will remember this story, 1 Samuel 22. Do you remember when King Saul kills all the priests? Remember that? That was the descendants. That was the line of uh, Ithamar. And all of them but one was alive, and that was Abiathar, 1 Samuel 22, 16 through 20. It was fully fulfilled, this prophecy that was given by a no-named um, prophet, by Solomon in 1 Kings 2, 27, when he removed Abiathar from serving in the house, and a descendant of Eleazar took over the temple duties, Zadok, and he was a faithful servant of the Lord. As a matter of fact, you can even read in Ezekiel about the millennial kingdom that it's Zadok and his descendants that are going to serve in that millennial temple. Quite interesting. Zadok is a faithful high priest that was talked about, ministered in the days of David and Solomon, but really is just a type of the ultimate faithful high priest we have in Jesus. And so um, this is the story. I mean, I think we're all familiar with the, the account of Hannah, We've heard of this before, but when you drop it in the context of all that's going on around Hannah, both nationally and then in her own home life domestically, and then you think of all that's taking place and how she responded, your, your appreciation, your respect of Hannah is just like, wow. In the days of the judges, she wrote that. This is a woman that was connected with the Lord. May we be like Hannah. May we be able to take the afflictions and the hardships and pour them out to the Lord and not just pour them out on the next person and hurt them. May we take them to the Lord and then may we be filled 
with the goodness of the Lord and allow him to minister to us and then being able to go forward and do those things that the Lord is preparing us for. Sometimes it's just a trial and it's just hard and it's just we live in a fallen world. And sometimes, but God will even use those, right, to to develop who we are in our character. But sometimes the trial is orchestrated by the Lord. I don't know which is which. You know, how do you know unless the Lord tells you? And so with every hardship and trial we go through, we have the promise that even if it's just kind of man-made, it's just living in a fallen earth, that God's going to work with that and he's going to make us more like him, right? But what if that is an orchestrated trial to get us to that place where we're ready to turn it over to the Lord? And then when the Lord says, all right, I'm ready to work, will you have a party because the Lord has said, I'm going to take care of it. Will it change your countenance? Will you eat? Will you wash your face? Will you worship the Lord? Challenging stuff, isn't it? Lord, thank you for this example. And worship team, you can just stay where you are. I've gone over. But uh, Lord, we thank you for this example of Hannah. Um, Lord, she's ministering to all of our hearts right now. Um, As the Apostle Paul said, Uh, These accounts were written for our learning, for our our admonition. And Lord, we are admonished by Hannah tonight. And Lord, we want to be more like her. We want to be like her. We want to pour our hearts out to you. We want to see you work and move. We want to stand fast that as you go through that process of time, we wait upon you and we are full of faith. May we never get stingy with you, Lord. May we never get tight-fisted, even with family. But, Lord, may we realize that everything we have is borrowed. Everything, Lord. So then to lend it back to you at your request, it only makes sense. So, Lord, give us that mentality. Help us to walk uprightly. Help us to be like Hannah in the days of the judges. Help us to be set apart as godly men and women. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen.